You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Show on Community Radio 3CR. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris. We're proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, we are show about bicycling, cycling, urban transport matters, micro-mobility, coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Naram, Melbourne, Australia. In the studio today, I have Jonathan. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Yimby, Melbourne. What was like for you today, Jonathan, coming in? Uh, look, I cycled over, uh, of course, to fit with the theme, from uh, Coburg. It was, you know, a busy commute. A lot of trucks on the road between sort of me and uh, here, especially along Carlton, which is often the case at this time of day. But I made it over in in one piece, which is uh, not always the case. And really appreciate being here. That's the thing about having a city predicated upon planning of for motor vehicles in the last 70 years. Now, what would you say to some of the things that reason why your organization has come about is road and uh, usage thereof and the mixed thing with development i mean i'm scrambling my words you're, you're a subject matter expert how would you see things up with the inner city with parking and the way that we use it roads predominantly for vehicles and yeah you, know, you, you feel you feel you're an interloper there as um, a cyclist yeah absolutely we've sort of Ever since 1954, there was a big plan tabled for Melbourne, which sort of established the car-centric planning and development that we've sort of seen, like you said, for the last 70 years. We've built our block sizes, our road widths, our infrastructure, yeah, purely around the personal automobile. Um, you know, not even around buses, not even around shared transport, not, not around things with wheels. Of course, we have the excellent tram network which, you know, feels almost incidental <laughs> um, to, to the road system. What we're interested in with, with Yimby Melbourne is this sort of view of urbanism and a city that is fundamentally livable. You know, we are focused predominantly on housing and housing abundance, but the reality is that 
good housing density and good housing in our inner cities, that is predicated also on a diversity of, of transport and accessibility for people. You know, the ability to walk around your suburb safely, to cycle around your suburb safely, to not have to get in a car to visit your friends. All of that is tied to planning reform, is tied to infrastructure reform, and is tied fundamentally to housing. So what I was kind of getting to when I was muddling my way into the intro there was the, the, the issue I have with a lot of advocacy in terms of in this space for urban cycling and scooting with the mobility lanes is we keep coming up against planning issues and road space allocation issues and it just seems to be this insurmountable push-pull. Now, this is where you can lead in with uh, what can the YIMBY movement and the organisations kind of around this kind of readjust and re, you know, recalibrate what the hell we're doing with our city spaces because we're seeing a lot of development and I'll get on to some criticism of that later. Sure. But how can we kind of like calm things down and have better road allocation? Sure. So there are a few things that we can do. I mean, number one, and this is something that we tabled in our report that released this morning, our Melbourne's Missing Middle report. Uh, is a reduction of parking minimums. Currently, developments have to include parking spaces, sometimes two to three per unit, um, which is absolutely insane because, as the RMIT have shown, in the inner city, about 40% of those parking spaces remain empty in inner city um, residential developments. And then, uh, in addition to that, those parking spaces cost between fifty dollars and $70,000. They add that onto the cost of an apartment. So a three-bedroom apartment that is usually required to have uh, two parking spaces is $140,000, up to $140,000 more expensive because uh, of cars that the people buying these apartments might not necessarily own. So a huge thing that we can do, not only for housing affordability, but also to yeah reduce car use and induce demand of car use, is to remove these parking minimums and make people realize that there's a trade-off in price. You know, you can live cheaper and not have a car and that's okay and if we can kind of do that at a scale then we can actually see our cities kind of transform into places where people are considering these trade-offs and are picking more active uh, transport routes and then from there hopefully we see sort of more cycling infrastructure in response to shifting community sort of uses yeah that's a strange thing i've seen this shift Oh, everyone's probably got their individual time scale, but I've seen it 10, 15 years of, oh, why do you need a car in the city? We've got, you know, it's transport rich. And now there's the argument of, I need a car in the inner city. And it's, you know, okay, I'm a little older, but I find it slightly, uh, well, illogical. But it has become the norm when we have these debates around parking and predominantly separate infrastructure... And these are the arguments that lead debates at council level of the individual saying, I need this car, I will, you know, their, their vehicle needs, they will oppose uh, things like, you, you've probably seen it in uh, Sydney, you've seen now, I think there's one in Brisbane, opposing cycleways, we've seen it right across Melbourne. And it's kind of hinged on the individual arcing up and then getting organised in their local area. But the, 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 the issue is above them and they're not actually seeing the, the fuller things like, you know, you're saying, you need step change to, to transform our cities. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's sort of the core thing 
you know, what you've just described there, this sort of individual small level rise up against, you know, given developments or mm. given infrastructure changes. It's a big part. In fact, it's the founding principle of the Yimby Melbourne movement is to provide a voice that sort of says, well, okay, no, what are we thinking about in terms of in terms of the people who aren't here yet or the infrastructure that isn't here yet, right? Yes. Um, because you don't see the impact of a bike lane that isn't built. But you do see the trade-offs when it is built. But the trade-offs of a bikeway not being built are invisible because it's fewer people cycling. It's things you don't see. But if you build a new bike lane and you see more people cycling, yes, some drivers, some local drivers might get frustrated that it changes traffic patterns. But for all those people who can cycle safely, it's a huge win, but it's a trade-off we don't see. We don't see what isn't built. Well, the nuance that's missing out of these debates, like there's two... um bike, protect, or I should say protected lane uh, things at the moment across Melbourne, one to do with Kent Road up in Pascal Vale that Mary Beck Bicycle Youth Group have been working on. And another one, uh, Summerhill Road that Bike West uh, are working on, where they actually got it. And then the next day, and this is where I'm kind of leading it back to, they, they are now the subject of rescission motions. Now, there was an article that came out in The Age last week saying, you know, uh, you know there was, and I think it was very incorrectly reported of you know one day we've got this bike lane voted upon the next day it was taken away excuse me but the meeting the the council meeting and the rescission motion haven't happened yet okay so we've got uh these two in the balance right now and it's really small petty politics how come again we'll probably get into we've gone into this thing about what we can do we'll get into what the imbi movement is in the moment after the break but Again, how can we stop these small, intense, and quite uh, destructive ways? Or, you know, these these debates um, from happening and have, as you say, people don't see what they're actually they want. Uh, it's what isn't built. Yeah. What isn't built yet, and we've gone to this really quite aspirational and negative way of viewing our cities. Yeah, I think uh, one of the core things that we can do is sort of encourage. Encourage councillors and policymakers to think in terms of that big picture. What are the fundamental principles that we want? We want an active city. We want a city that's healthy and we want a city that is um, sustainable. Everyone sort of fundamentally believes in, in those things, but the problem is that these voices aren't at council, or at least not traditionally. So a big thing that we've been doing with UMB Melbourne is organizing to make sure that we have as many local coordinators as possible, sort of keeping us abreast of happenings at councils, of votes, of debates, of motions, and making sure that we get people out from our sort of movement of over 100 paying members, get people out to be advocating for these things. Because the reality is councils want to vote for good things, but they don't want to be the person in the room going against the only voice in the room, which, as you say, is often negative. So by providing a positive voice and a voice with a long-term vision for a more sustainable city, that's really the main principle and the main uh, use of YMB Melbourne. That's what we see our, our role as. Right. After the break, we'll have a chat about how YMB Melbourne got started. This is a uh, logging operation. Any person found within this coop is offending. Can they please leave? You're allowed no closer than the bridge down the track there. Any person that's found in the coop will be arrested and charged. (laughs) I direct that you all leave now. Gecko's turning 30 and we're having a party. 
The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippsland's forest since 1993 and we want to party with you. There'll be music, performances, food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au. Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter. And you're back on Yarra Basketball Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. And they're talking to Jonathan O'Brien from Yimby, Melbourne. Now, Jonathan, we just went at a pace and we're trying to solve everything. <laughs> uh, but let's take a step back and why Yimby, Melbourne? People will be familiar with the term NIMBY. But what's Yimby? Of course, yes. Uh, so NIMBY, of course, being not in my backyard, a sort of catch-all term for people who are against change in the city. Uh, Yimby, of course, yes, in my backyard, is meant to be a counterpoint to that. It's meant to be a positive vision for a growing city and understanding that a growing, changing city, that's what a city is. It's a thing that fundamentally is full of life. Uh, and we want to support that. And life grows and changes. Uh, we started... Well, we started conversations about the movement maybe about a year ago, but we really started in force in February. Um, I attended uh, sort of as a trial run, a Mary Beck Council meeting, uh, a meeting that ended up being quite infamous because it was the one where uh, a Nightingale development got knocked back and ultimately had the social housing um, kind of component uh knocked out as a result, you know, which was a huge problem. And so it was kind of happenstantial. I ended up being at that, uh, being at that meeting, um, sort of got picked up by the Brunswick Voice, uh, wrote an op-ed, The Age caught us up, and then uh, our membership, our team, our incredible, incredible core organizing team has really exploded. And we've just, you know, been able to, I think in the space of a few short months since February, eight months, I think we've really been able to fundamentally change how housing is spoken about in this city for, for the better. And um, how infrastructure is kind of perceived by councillors. Yeah, and to kind of take a step from there, the immediate things that are going on at the moment, and, and apologies to the early morning listener, I'm about to use some very mild language <laughs> to do around rentals and the like. And if uh, you, you may have come across shitrentals.org, yeah, some of the yeah. things around that, are like, Oh, I can't even begin to describe what people are uh, having to contend with. Yeah, you know, housing is a human right, and in Australia, it has become monetized, well, to insane levels of just entitlement and just—I'm going to swear again—bullshit. Uh, so yeah, so <laughs> what what's happened is that um, Australian housing is really focused on. Um, in terms of in terms of where you get quote unquote yield, uh, it's the capital gain. And for a housing to for housing to appreciate uh, in terms of uh, capital gain, it has to be scarce. Scarce assets become more valuable over time. Housing scarcity is not working for the majority of Australians. It's not working. Um, it's leading to you know the things like you see on shit rentals, mm. where landlords have all the power because. Landlords aren't competing for renters. Renters are competing for landlords, which doesn't make any sense. There's, there's not really many uh, sectors of the economy where, where the consumer competes for the product. It leads to a system where, where the, the consumer can really kind of be jerked around because you don't have any other options. Your option is either stick with this landlord or move you know, 
a long way away um, at, you know, the cost of, I believe, the estimated moving costs for the average renter about $3,000. Um, so as, at significant cost to you. The reality is that we need to build, bring in a new era, an era of housing abundance, an era where you have choice, where landlords have to compete for renters, where landlords have to manage their reputation, um, and where um, renters actually have a lot more power in the market and the ability to actually say, actually, you're not treating me right, and I have leverage now because I can go somewhere else. And all these processes we're talking about where people want to live or need to live and the processes around what landlords do, and I'll get back to that word in a minute, that actually absolutely impacts upon transport use. So people are forced back to using a car, which is, or um, it's a false economy thereof of like, oh, I've got this immediate use, I can get to A to B. But there's all these vulnerabilities brought into it uh, with car use. Uh, now back to the word landlord. It's an archaic term and it offends the hell out of me because it gives this pseudo-autocracy sort of... Um, sure, it's sort of a feudal term. It is. It's just we just call them what they are, property owners. Okay. We can do that for the rest of the show if you like. <laughs> no, I was, no, I wasn't, wasn't having a go at you. I was no, just I know there, you I weren't. just have a, sitting there going, why are we using this kind of like, you know, tug your... <sighs> yeah, sure. Pulling you by your tie or whatever. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Now, Yimby is also... The movement is also international. It's absolutely yeah. Okay, talk us. Through yeah, that. so we we follow in the footsteps of sort of uh, yes in my backyard movements all around the world. Started in um, San Francisco actually, which I believe is the most unequal city in the world. You know, uh, one of the worst homelessness crises in the world, but also the highest concentration of billionaires um, via Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. So you know, you see kind of this this huge huge kind of upswell there of people realizing that there is an injustice and that the injustice is systemic and that there are ways, there are policy levers we can pull to solve the housing crisis. The best way, for instance, to solve homelessness is to give someone a home. Just build homes and you actually do see homelessness go down. Now you do need, of course, um, structured uh, structured support services like um, that organizations like Launch Housing and whatnot provide around Melbourne. But fundamentally, at the end goal of ending homelessness. It's about giving people homes and it's yeah. about building more homes where they want to live and near the infrastructure that will support them. You know, it's not enough to, for instance, um, take people who are homeless in the inner city and put them in outer suburban sprawl. It's about actually giving them homes here where there's infrastructure, where there are the services, where there's everything that people need. Um, so the Yimby movement really sort of starts from there, this idea of, okay, what's the end goal? And the end goal is for everyone to have a home, for housing to be a human right. And in a meaningful way, not just in like a, a, a way that you just sort of say, um, but actually really setting up the policy um, to make sure that it can happen for everyone. Yeah, and what you were just saying there about uh, moving, you know, people out, that happened in the 70s and 80s, you know, and uh, okay, some of those communities have settled down. I'm talking about places like Maui, I'm talking about um, broad meadows. They moved them out of where we are now. And that was some of the uh, Department of Housing stuff in the seven. Six, no, going back to the fifties, actually, there's whole vast waves of, you know, Melbourne were demolished, and it's going to happen again with Housing Victoria and all these different things that are going on. Um, but getting back to the transport thing, what I find really just diabolical at the moment, and I'm trying to use my words carefully, of we're seeing all these different ways of getting about, but they are still not 
front and centre with policy-making decisions like, okay, people talk about bicycle lanes and when really they're protected lanes or mobility lanes. You know yourself, you, it's it's now a lot of people's workplaces with delivery workers, uh, gig economy. Uh, we seem to, again, what you're getting back to with San Francisco, there's a similar thing here in Melbourne where you need all these support workers for all these affluent people. And uh, and I think that really twists the argument around around transport. Uh, like to, it's not just an inner city thing. Like you know, we, uh, I find get I get very annoyed over people who seem to think that cycling is now a middle class option. Now, and we've all heard that. And you know, I was just curb my language a bit there. <laughs> I've been spending a fair bit of time out in Noble Park and Danlong, and I'm telling you, it's not a middle class option. It's how people get about. Yeah. And it's again with. Uh, organisations such as yourself of trying to change these policy positions of instead of everyone being forced into the force, uh, false economy of cars, how we've built things around, is providing those options. Right, exactly. And security in, in taking those options. So like like we were talking earlier about like security of tenure and the cost of moving. It's much yeah. easier to move if you have a car because if, you're, if you are if you are being forced and you don't know where you're going to be and you think you might be forced further out of the city, the reality is that hedging by having an automobile feels like a logical choice to people, regardless of whether that's true, you know, uh, hiring a movie van, whatever. But it feels like a logical choice to people. If you give people security of tenure um, and the understanding that they're not going to be moved on, that their rent isn't going to raise precipitously and that they will actually be able to stay where they want to be, you actually allow them to kind of get onto these more active transport options because they they can build a comfort around the suburb. You know, some people are nervous about riding. Fair enough. I've yeah. been hit by a car. It, it makes sense to be nervous about this. But as you become familiar with your area and you begin to feel safe, you can actually take these alternate public, uh, these ultimate active transport options and begin to turn them into part of your life. And I think that's a really, really positive thing. Yeah, and it's getting into uh, like what I was discussing too with Kent Street in Pascal Vale and Summerhill out in the west. Often, and that's and then and the, the shiny example is just north of us, which is Sydney with the cycleways. There was absolute militant opposition to that. You know, it was led by uh, Alan Jones of all people, and um, I can remember reporting upon that on the show going back a long time ago, but. It's accepted up there with Sydney Cycleways. Melbourne has a peculiar type of toxicity towards protected lanes. And I think it is based around basically car use. And we get into those really intense personal discussions around these. And I've, I've either, like I said, I've been in council meetings and seen how, yeah, it's important to this person. This issue is important to them. And they seem to think that you're insulting them personally if you've got an attorney of opinion and this is where i find the nuance and the middle ground over a long period of time it's just absolutely evaporated we used to have uh, councils and state governments and federal governments that used to push the you know, change from for the benefit of the community now it's all individualized yeah i think there's there's a few like problems there is like a we have kind of a system of community consultation and whatnot that benefits a very small active voice, right? Uh, which is often predominantly older people, people with money and time and the resources to navigate uh, council bureaucracy. Those people are privileged in these in these decision-making and, and, and they represent a small voice. So when we sort of perceive these decisions to be made on an individual basis, it's more that it's being made, I think, in response to the voice 
of a very small number of individuals rather than this sort of communal voice this idea that you know cycling infrastructure you know yes cyclists uh, cyclists are sort of, it's a more communal thing because it's sort of outdoors and, and whatnot, uh, but it feels a bit modern and it's not something that sort of older generations tend to do. I think as with renters, um, cyclists are a traditionally like underrepresented voice in discussions around infrastructure. I think partially probably because before the car, you didn't have to actively, <laughs> didn't have to actively uh, advocate for it. And then the car lobby, of course, uh, became huge and, you know, was a driving, driving force of all of Melbourne's planning from 1954 onwards, explicitly so. So, yeah, it's really about providing a key voice in these, in these meetings. It's about sort of showing, no, no, there is not only a cyclist here advocating, but there's a community benefit to the end goal of this advocacy, which is better street use, better infrastructure use, uh, fewer infrastructure costs, a healthier, more active city, and just a slew of other benefits that all Melbournians can capture. Yep. We're just going to take a quick break and it'll be after the thing. We'll just have a little chat about, uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about councils and how you can get in touch or get involved with the MB Melbourne. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged 3 and 4 can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enrol for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, yeah, you're back listening to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. Now, a little bit you were talking about councils and how people can get involved. There was a shining moment during the whole COVID pandemic where councils and some other, a lot of other organisations went to hybrid or online models and it gave people the opportunity to have input because council meetings are at particular times when... People like you and I simply don't have the time and they get, you know, it's it, it's a time where, you know, you're sitting down having probably only rest time of your day or dealing with the kids or dealing with other things. And if you're of a different generation, it's very easy for you to turn up because you don't have all these responsibilities. I think uh, council should start looking a lot more at those hybrid models. I know it's difficult with some of the... Uh, uh, things we've seen at different councils over the last few years with, uh, I don't want to use that term, geography term, but, you know, with uh, high-pitched uh, opposition. But, uh, yeah, we've got to go to a different model of uh, consultation. Yeah, and some councils have. the Part of the big problem, and this is something that we push for, is that councils are very inconsistent in their processes. So every council operates differently, which makes our job hard. And, you know, we're constantly learning. But councils like Mary Beck um, have a, an explicitly hybrid model of their meetings. You can both watch the live stream online, and most councils do live stream their meetings. But you can watch the live stream online, but you can also participate. You can speak for or against a given motion, and you can do it digitally, sort of from the comfort of your, either your workplace or your home, you know, from your convenience, um, which is really great. And, yeah, democratic, especially in, in this day and age. Mm. And just quickly, um, to speak to some of the criticism of the Yimby movement. What would you say that you've got shadowy puppet masters behind you who are actually developers, and that's why you want a sudden influx of uh, new development so everyone makes coin? 
<laughs> yeah, sure. Look, if uh, we had any money, we wouldn't all be hardworking volunteers. Uh, is the first is the first answer. The second is, look, we're not pro developer. We're pro development. We're pro more housing for more people where they want to live. We're purely advocating for policy. Look, houses are getting built all the time in urban sprawl right now. We don't need to advocate for builders to have work. What we need to advocate for is more homes to be built more densely in the places where people want to live. And that's our inner city. Yeah. That's where, um, you know, that's where the life of the city is. And that's where we want more people to be able to live because they want to. That's why it's so expensive. Well, infill's not a new thing. I saw it in the 70s with Geo Walk. Mm-hmm. I saw it, um, you know, with some of the big country blocks almost that was around down along um, Noble Park get filled in with um, villa units. I mean, it's it's nothing new, but it's like the we have the ability here to do really good things that help people in their communities and make where they are more enjoyable to live, work and raise a family and study and the rest of it. Now, how can people get in touch with Yimby Melbourne? Yeah, great. So head to our website, yimbymelbourne.org.au. We've just released our Missing Middle report, an enormous flagship report, a huge effort from our team. Uh, 11,000 words, 50 plus pages. It's really comprehensive and, and gives a really good vision for how we can get Uh, sort of uh, some good steps towards getting out of the housing crisis. You can become a member there. You can donate. You can buy merch. We've actually just released released, uh, these gorgeous pins that are just incredible. So, uh, yeah, we're really keen to sort of build our membership base and sort of, you know, get the next 100 members on board. Thank you for coming in today, Jonathan. Thank you very much for having me. I've just got to drop in a quick bit of news and events. The protected curbside lanes petition for Johnson Street and Collingwood through to like the spine, this uh, planned, or this idea that uh, Harrison's come up with. It's almost going to hit a thousand signatures, so get on board with that. I'll put the link into the podcast description. And don't forget, on the 27th of August, uh, my brain, I need another coffee. The 27th of this month, being October, is Critical Mass North. It's the first time, I believe, that Critical Mass has headed through uh, Yarra, through Derebin, up to All Nations Park. It's going to be a doozy. So, yeah, that's going to be quite a few groups pulling that together. So look forward to that on Friday the 27th. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much for having me. And that's all we've got time for today. Up next is Shebop followed by Black Block. All of us on 3CR, all us announcers are volunteers, so please go to 3cr.org.au and look up the subscribe, donate or fundraiser option, see what's going on. And I'll ensure that I get all this uh, information to the podcast description, which will be at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast or Yarra Bug. And also look us up on iTunes and all the different ways that you can listen to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Backrose Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.